In any life, we have highs and lows, light and dark, wins and losses. What happens when we encounter that moment in time when what happens next could change everything? Join us as we step into another person's inspirational moment and see how we can connect their experience to ours. This is Greg Stevens, and you're listening to A Shot of Inspiration. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of A Shot of Inspiration. I'm Greg Stevens, your host. And this week, we have a new friend of mine that I actually met when I went to Evan Money's Men of Greatness Mastermind out in L.A. And this is Deji Ola Gide. Is that correct? Is I get your last name you got, right? I know you, you got it, Deji. Greg. That's a mouthful for me. You got it, man. <laughs> thank you for helping me with that name. But Deji and I have gotten to know each other over the last couple of months, and he's actually going to be looking at doing some training with our organization and our Masterful Mentoring Program. I found Deji to be an, a really inspiring young man that I wish we had more of him. <laughs> he is a transformational trainer and health coach. He has some big ideas that he wants to do and complete in life. And welcome me, Deji. It's great to have you on the show. Welcome to the show. Greg, it's a pleasure to be here, man. And you, I know all the way out there in Texas, it's, <laughs> they say it's always bigger in Texas. And you guys definitely have that big heart, big love, man. So definitely right. felt the love from the moment I met you. And yeah. it's an honor to be here with you on the podcast. Yeah. Well, one of the reasons I wanted to have you out here was because. I thought you were mature beyond your years. I thought you had some real life lessons. And also you had a sports background. I, since I had a sports background, I like just connect with athletes really quickly, it seems. And we talk about breakthroughs in this show and aha moments and things that are inspirational. Walk us back to a little we talked earlier about your athletic career and then one of the hurdles you found early on because I think when I, I was an athlete, I had some physical things happen where my career had to end and you had some things happen, but your career went on after that, but you had to deal with some battle with, I guess it's type one diabetes that came along and you had to change everything, didn't you? Man. Yeah. Whole, my whole life changed. So to give some context, growing up here in Southern California, I was a very active kid. I'm the youngest of seven kids and one of my community friend, like big uncle said, Hey, you should play football. I was always playing basketball at the time. Right. But he said, Hey, you should play football. So he asked my mom, man, let him play football. I'm a younger guy. I was a little bit shorter, but I was really quick, Greg. Like when I say quick, I'm talking four, four speed back in the day. Awesome. So around middle school, started playing football and loved it. Loved the team aspect and just the toughness of it. Right. It really was helping me to develop but it was crazy. Going into my freshman year, I was actually diagnosed with type 1 diabetes. Now, for those who don't know, type 1 diabetes is basically an autoimmune disease, right, where your your pancreas is no longer producing insulin. I had to give myself shot. Greg, I'm going to the nurse during lunchtime just to eat lunch. There's just all these different challenges I had to begin to tack on to my overall just daily life as a teenager. Mm -hmm. And I was crushed. I Going into my freshman year, I couldn't even play sport. I was crushed. Yeah. Just because my mom said, I want to keep him safe and make sure that he's okay. Yeah. 
But coming back my sophomore year, I was able to play. And not only did I play, but I made the varsity team. And we won the California State Championship. That's awesome. That's cool. uh, Corona Centennial. I went to Corona Centennial and we won against De La Salle High School, which is like a powerhouse in Northern California. So, man, I had to break through. I had to toughen up and I had to realize that nothing or no one was going to stop me from achieving this big goal, which at the time for me was just playing sports, right? So that was a huge just moment of like, breakthrough where I was like, okay, I'm faced with these circumstances, but I still got to be able to overcome it to get to that goal, man. So, well, let me ask you, happen to sit out that year, uh, that probably made you hungry for that sophomore year, didn't it? Oh man, all my boys would come around showing me their pads, showing me their games. And I'm just sitting there like, come on, let me get out there. Yeah, so that was, yeah, that freshman year was tough. And, you know, just freshman year in general for many young guys and girls, it's just, it's a tough transitionary year for people. Yeah. It is. Yeah. And I love that you won the championship, but you went on and played ball after high school. Let me ask you, the diabetes, were, were you able to manage it pretty well while you're in sports or was it really a hassle? Explain that to me. What was your regimen? about making yeah. sure you were within the limits you needed to be? Yeah. So great question. This is actually one of the questions I get a lot about just what does it mean? What's the daily? So for me as a type one diabetic, I have to give myself like a shot of insulin. I have an insulin pin that I have to carry on my person at all times. And I have to prick my finger and check my blood sugar about three to four times a day. So when I first started out, I would literally be at practice and I would have to just keep it with the athletic trainer. And I'd also keep like a bunch of candy, Gatorade, airheads and stuff. Just in the case if my blood sugar ever got low, I can go to her and be able to get back up to get on the field. So, yeah. Greg, I remember some practices and some games, I would score a touchdown and then run to the sideline. And I'm over there pricking my finger and doing all this and making sure I was right. And then I just go back into the game. So that was, I'll be honest, man, that that was very challenging because you just want to be like the other kids, right? Like you just want to play normally and just do things normal. But no, not for me. I had to pause, carry all these equip, all this equipment and do all these things and my daily regimen is just a daily monitoring of what do I eat? What's my blood sugar? Do I have all my equipment? So it's just like a constant extra thing you have to manage in addition to everything else you're doing, right? And so that was kind of a daily regimen. Yeah, yeah. So you went on and played ball in college. And was there any concern from your coaches when you came in and they knew you had type 1 diabetes, I'm sure? And uh, they probably were on you about making sure your levels are correct, weren't they? Absolutely. Absolutely. There's actually a funny story. When I was in college, I went to Azusa Pacific University. It's a small Division II football program. Shout out to all my crews who might be listening to this. We, we won a couple of D2 championships there, too. And there was one day, hell week, summer, the intensity's high. Coaches are a little bit more yelling and more edgy. And 
we're bringing it up at the end. And I had a big thing of Gatorade I'm drinking. The coach was like giving us a very important speech and he wanted all eyes on him. So he looks at me, he goes, Patsy, what are you doing drinking Gatorade on my shoulder? And I look at him in the eyes. I'm like, coach, I'm diabetic. I need this. <laughs> he was so embarrassed. They always knew Daisy's going to do whatever he needs to do to take care of him. But that was always a funny moment where he's like, hey, what are you doing drinking Gatorade on my food? I'm like, coach, I need it. I'm diabetic. <laughs> you shifted that flow, didn't you? <laughs> That's good. That's good. So after co- you played in college and then you gotten out and then you went to seminary. Tell us what drove you to go to seminary and what you're doing with your degree and what you're doing now in your transformational training and health coaching. Walk us through that. Yeah. So like a lot of athletes, I had really one goal and that was to play in the NFL, right? Going to go to the league, going to do this, going to do that. That was truly it. I didn't see anything past that. It wasn't until really that senior year when you're in the ex, I'm in the exit meetings and our coach says, hey, now a lot of you guys will never play this sport again. And it hit me like, oh my goodness, what's my plan? At the time I had been discerning a call of God and I was taking theology courses actually at the school because we're a Christian school, Uh, but I never really knew there was an actual like profession or career in ministry. I don't know. Like I always just thought that was stuff people did voluntarily or, but they're like, no, you can actually get like professional degrees and this kind of stuff. And I'm like, wait, what? I had no idea, Greg. So coming into my senior year, going into like post-college, I actually was awarded a scholarship to receive my master's of divinity degree. It was a scholarship that allowed seminary students to work on the college campus and to then get their degree. And so I applied for this scholarship and I got it. And that was kind of the the burning bush moment for me. This might be my next step. Maybe I'm going to go into professional ministry and do this whole grad school thing. Again, remember, I had no real plan or idea, so I'm really open at this point to whatever God wants to do. And so that's what I did. I got this scholarship, which I was so grateful for, and I went on to receive my Master's of Divinity degree, and then I worked for three years at the college. So the same college I went to school at, I was also working there three years after. So doing mentoring and coaching and discipleship with the students at the undergraduate level, right? So fell in love with it. Fell in love with it, man. Yeah, just small groups and planning for chapels and really the discipling and the one-on-one mentoring piece is what I liked the most. Like being able to help a young 21, 22, 23-year-old kid really process their faith in real time and journeying along. So I fell in love with it. And so then that sparked my interest of being in mentoring. And after graduating from seminary, I started my own coaching practice. I started coaching people one-on-one because I was already doing it like for pro bono, right? Just like, hey, man, what are your goals? What's, your, what's God doing in your life? Like, how can I journey that with you? Like, I was always that guy. People will always say, 
Deji's that guy. He always asks you, like, what are you doing with your life? Where do you want to go in your life? I don't know. I've always been like that. And so one of my classes I took in seminary, it was a transformational training. And the name of the organization is uh, Gap Community. Really great organization. And I did this training and then I got certified. And then I started to begin to take the step towards professionally helping people like on a one-on-one basis. And with the health stuff, and I'll end here, with the health stuff for me, because I'm a diabetic, I've always had a little bit more just experience and expertise as it relates to how to live a healthy life. And so people would always ask me for nutrition tips and they want to get stronger or they want to lose weight and this kind of stuff. And so I said, oh, well, in addition to the life coaching, it might be a good idea for me to also have a little niche of focusing on health and wellness. That all has developed over the last couple of years. I love that you took all the things that were given you along the way and you've just used them as you've picked them up along the way. That's what it sounds like to me. And uh, you've been very mature. That's why I said when we first met, we got in some really deep conversations and it was just real natural. I can see why people would want to engage with you as a coach. And uh, we did talk, uh, it's something you really want to focus on in the years to come is helping college and pro athletes as they exit their sport and they get out into the real world, making that adjustment because that is an adjustment. Kind of like you said, you were focused on your trade of football. You had these dreams. I think you have to focus on that. You can't focus on other things if that's what you really want. And it doesn't work out or it's a shorter career than some, but even if it's a long career, you do have to make that jump at some point. I find there's Mm -hmm. a lot of depression and a lot of things that go on with athletes after they leave their sport. What is, what is it that's pulling you to do that type of work and what do you want to accomplish with it? Yeah. Yeah. So couple of statistics here. Out of all the college athletes at the NCAA, NAIA, D1, D2, D3, only about one, if not 2% will go on and play professionally, right? And then of those that play professionally, let's take football, for example, your football career on average is what, two to three years? That's right. So that means that there's a large number of years and a large number of people who after they're done playing sports, the bulk of what they're doing is going to be the after, right? And for me, when you say depression, man, when I ended playing football my senior year of college, I lost it. I didn't know who I was outside of the everyday team meetings and the everyday hustle and bustle of student-athlete life. So when that was taken away from me, it was almost like, who am I now, right? who am I outside of this sport? So I did go through a dark time. And I remember, Greg, I didn't even want to go by the field. I didn't even want to look at the field. I just, I didn't go to any alumni games. I was just, because I didn't know how to cross. It hurts too much. It hurts too much. I know what you mean. Because you're connected with it. And that is the sense of who you are, but we're so much more. And it takes getting out of it, I think, to even realize that. Even if you look at LeBron and Tom Brady, great athletes, that's going to be gone one day. I love that LeBron and those guys have other things that they do, but 
A lot of people don't, and they don't have that. And then there's a lot of pain that goes with that because you're focused on for so many years, and then all of a sudden, there's nothing there. There's nothing there. There's nothing. Yeah. And to go a little deeper, like when you're an athlete at a high level school or on a high level team, that praise and affirmation you get, yeah, it's it drug. becomes, it's a drug. It's, it's like drug. you got 10,000 fans saying your name or even 2,000, right? Or even 500 in a basketball gym cheering you on. And then when that's gone, it's, yeah. oh man. So it's been a huge burden of mine now to really help athletes to not only find their identity after they're done playing sports, but to be able to develop a game plan for how they can continue to move forward with the same intensity, same acceleration, same focus that they used in their sport, and now using that towards maybe their business or their nonprofit or just their own career because, uh, there's a lot there's a lot of greatness still in it, right? Outside of just the soccer or the baseball and all that kind of stuff. Well, and that's one thing for me, sports always taught me get back up again. Get back up again. And I can tell you over and over, it's one of the things my friends have seen me go through different pieces in life, different phases, different businesses. And it's just getting up again, getting up again. You're never a failure if you keep getting up. Yeah, that's it. That's it. It really is. And I love that though, but I also find that so many of those things you learn in sports can be applied to your business and things like that. But some people don't know how to make the bridge between the two. And I think what you're going to be doing with those athletes is going to be needed and well received. We got to get you in front of the right people. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I'm really excited, man. I was actually reading a book by a gentleman named Ed Milet. It's The Power of One More. And he was talking about podcast. this. Yeah, I love that guy, right? Yeah. Big buff guy. Just yeah. doing all this stuff. And he said, the same way we do it in sports, where you have to do one more rep. The coach said, hey, give me one more. You can use that same thing in your business. Hey, make one more call to that client or help one more person in whatever it is you're doing. And that's truly what I'm using as a mantra now is like everything that I was given in my sports just career, I want to now give it out times 10 in my life and my purpose. That's great. As we finish up, what is one inspirational theme that you would like to share with the audience or one inspirational story or something you would just like to leave the audience with that's been inspiring for you as you've taking your career, taking the things you've understood and knew and just turn them into your career, it seems like to me. Yeah. Well, one thing for sure is definitely keep listening to this podcast you're on because the value is great. And I would also say, I use this mantra all the time, don't waste your pain. Waste your pain. Tell me more about that. Yeah. We all go through things in life that are painful experiences whether it could be letdowns or setbacks or disappointments. And even another sports analogy, Michael Jordan, he didn't make the high school basketball team, right? Ridiculous, right? Right. Like, how do you not let Mike get on the team? Come on, let that man ride the bench. It's Mike. He used that painful experience to motivate him to build a drive and build a rigor. 
for the painful experiences you processed or went through in your life, as tough as it may seem if you're in it right now, find a way, even if it's just a small way, to use that pain as a gem to either hate you, give you some sense of challenge to overcome, because it's those painful experiences and those challenges that you overcome that really make the journey beautiful as you develop more. And so the more we're able to own our story and own all of our story, not just the good parts, but even the pain part, it gives us more authenticity and I would say more fuel to go forward in your life. So whatever painful experience you went through, don't cast it away. Don't tuck it under the rug, but look at it, recognize what it did and how it maybe made you more tougher, how it touched you and use that as fuel to go forward in your next journey. I love that. Yeah. Yeah, I, I believe if you want to be strong, you have to engage with pain. It happens in the gym when you're getting prepared to play. Uh, you're lifting weights. There is no no pain, no gain. You grow up with that. But it really is true, not only just on the sports field, but just in life. And what I also believe, thank you, DG, because I think it also connects us as human beings. I'm so glad you said that. I just got to say, because when I am more honest and open about even my chronic illness of being a diabetic, you will be surprised how much more connection I get with people, even other diabetics. They're like, oh my gosh, thank you so much for sharing that because now I feel more connected and I feel more open. And I'm just like, oh my goodness, like, wow, vulnerability and sharing your pain really is a great way to connect. So I just got to say that. Yeah, it is. And what it does as you do that, you're vulnerable, like you say. It shows you connect because there's that pain that other people can identify with. There's almost a kinship in that moment. No matter your differences, oh, this person understands. Because I had a friend of mine who had type 2 diabetes, and I was just amazed. He had it later in life, but I was just amazed at all the stuff he had to change. And I can't imagine what that would have been like in high school with all the stuff you had to do. People probably in high school, what are you doing now? Give myself a shot here. Had to get used to you doing that at first. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's a, ch- it's, it's, a, it's a learning curve. Yeah. Well, Deji, thank you so much for being on the show. And folks, thank you for listening to another shot of inspiration with Deji today. Look forward to seeing you next time. If you would, like and subscribe. Appreciate that. And we'll see you next time. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of A Shot of Inspiration. If you like this or any of our other episodes, make sure you rate it and share it with a friend. This is Greg Stevens, and we look forward to being with you next time. Until then, be bold, be courageous, and respectfully speak your truth.